Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. We are in the midst of a series called, How Do I Do That? I wanted to start by asking you a question. Have you ever played a game called Guess Who? My house is filled with all sorts of games. Some I had heard of, some I have never heard of. And there's a whole bunch of them. (laughs) So they always have a game going on. And one of them is called Guess Who. Basically, it's set up like battleships. So you have a tablet and the opponent has a tablet. And you can't see what's going on on your opponent's tablet. Each player has a board filled with about 30 people. We call them prospects. You secretly select one. The object of the game is to figure out who your opponent has selected, much like Battleship, as their secret person by asking a series of questions until you can eliminate the crowd of competitors and narrow it down to one possible solution. For instance, you might ask, does your person have blonde hair? Is your person male or female? Those kind of questions. So most of the time, the most effective strategy is to figure out who it is not and eliminate all the noise. Answering today's question in our series, how do I do that, can be approached a lot like playing an effective round of guess who. (laughs) To answer the question, how do I worship God, which is our question of the day, sometimes you need to eliminate the noise before you can get down to the nitty gritty. That's where I'm going to start. That's the approach I want to take. Ladies, we want to get this right because God takes very seriously our worship of Him. And we want to really get that into the marrow of our bones. And I think getting rid of the noise will help with our focus for really understanding how we worship Him. So the first way we don't worship God is that we don't worship in pretense. We aren't playing make-believe here. We're not faking it and we're not putting on a show. And we can see how God views this from Amos. He's speaking back to the people through this prophet in chapter 5 verse 23. And he says to them through him, take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. He's pretty upset with them and how they have been worshiping him. The second way we do not want to find ourselves worshiping, I think a lot of us get in the habit of doing, is to worship in a ritual. We don't want to do a series of actions sort of just because that's what we do without the worship that goes along with it. It's just something that we do. For instance, in that same chapter, a couple of verses before in Amos, the Lord says, I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, these people were doing the right thing. They were going through the right motions. The Lord says, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. They didn't mean it. It was not true worship to them. They were just going through the motions. Another way we do not worship God is when we try to worship a version of God that's not really the God of the Bible. Again, we have a verse in Amos, verse 26. He says, You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, that's a little g, which you made for yourselves. See, God's aware 
when we put other things on the same level or higher than he is. And he doesn't receive our worship when we come before him and and walk through the motions when we are truly holding other things in a high regard. And we're not worshiping the God of the Bible as the God of the Bible deserves to be worshiped. The fourth one we're going to get into in just a minute, that is that we don't worship God in a limited time or a certain space. And we find out a little more about this in the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You know the story. She is meeting Jesus. He's tired. They go through Samaria. He sits down. He talks to her, asks her a series of personal questions where she discovers that he knows a lot about her that he would not know unless he were uh, from God. So she does what we would do when put on the hot seat of our ugly sin and failures. She changes the subject to religion. But when she does, there's some admission. She doesn't shrink back from her sin or deny it to this stranger altogether whom she owes nothing. She admits her reality, even though it's shameful that she's now living with a fifth man who is not her husband. And I just love this about Jesus. He is able to reach into the very deepest, most private places in our lives that we think we've kept safe and hidden under the surface, yet lay them exposed before him in order not to embarrass us, not to destroy us, but for us to find restoration, true healing, real and lasting joy, and receive something so liberating we cannot contain it. And that is what happens to this woman. And Jesus is able to do this with one awkward counterculture encounter that he has with this woman. Now she's a Samaritan, we learn, and they're not supposed to be talking to Jewish men, number one. And number two, Samaritans only accepted the teachings of Moses. They rejected the writings of the prophets. So that's why Jesus comes in when talking about this religious aspect and he sort of chastises her that she doesn't know what the Jews know. Well, he's sort of setting her straight on that. The bottom line is there was some confusion. Remember, she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So he's setting her straight that it's no longer going to have to work that way. She just didn't know. That's something I think that is important. She was stuck in some of the things you and I get caught up in. Sometimes we just don't know. Then Jesus says to her, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's verses 23 and 24. What we need to do is now turn to try to understand what worship is according to the Bible, according to Jesus. Let's turn our thinking for a few minutes towards how do we worship God according to Jesus. He says the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's already drawing us to himself. Even worship is an act of God and not of ourselves. You and I don't choose. He's wooing us. If you and I truly would experience worship, it's the result of a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. It is no result
result of ourselves. That's just the bottom line according to Jesus. It's supernatural. In spirit means it's not outward. It's from the inside. It's not thoughtless though. It's not thoughtless. It's also in truth. That means bringing our sin into the front, which is what he did with this woman. Recognizing what he's done for us because they do this in that discussion they have and what we can't do for ourselves because Jesus does something for us we can't do for ourselves and enables us to believe the promises that are given through him through his death on the cross and resurrection and then we have this heart of gratitude that comes from that all of that is happening as we worship Psalm 16 2 says I say to the Lord you are my Lord apart from you I have no good thing that's just absolutely a recognition of worshiping him you recognize you have nothing without him all of these processes occur in the mind of a person worshiping in spirit and truth we also worship God when everything we think about and long for and desire fall under him David gives us a prime example in Psalm 63 1 so the Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water the beauty is that worship doesn't simply happen in your service or from the stage in your worship center it's every day no matter what you do or where you are you can live a life that worships God this is what Romans 12 1 and 2 point toward where it says I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect and then Psalm 71 8 says my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long those are processes that resonate with exactly what Jesus was trying to teach this woman at this encounter we can learn from now there are some hindrances to worship worship as a place that is a hindrance if we continue to see that worship only happens at a place that's going to be a hindrance to our ability to worship 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And then Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We don't have to worship at a certain place. It can be anywhere we go. Another hindrance is that worship is something we passively receive like we go to worship and we wait to see what they're going to bring us psalm 24 3 says who shall ascend the hill of the lord and who shall stand in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully he will receive blessing from the lord and righteousness from the god of his salvation such is the generation who seek him who seek the face of the god of jacob what that is communicating is that worship is an active process that we have have to bring ourselves to the table in order to participate in this supernatural phenomenon that takes place. We're not just passive receivers in this. Another hindrance is that worship is singing the words to a song and sort of repeating words maybe from a book that is in the pew provided for you. That's going to be limiting. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. He's talking about uh, some things that were going on in the church at Corinth. This is 
Paul talking to the people at Corinth, but basically he's communicating that this process of worship is active and your mind is engaged in the worship process. It's not something you're just mindlessly repeating. It's an active process. Another hindrance is that worship is seen as something that is commanded out of you. No, it cannot be commanded. I've been at conferences where the person on the stage is sort of telling you how you have to worship and demanding it from you. That's not what worship is. 1 Corinthians 14.25 says the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. It's going to be happening on a personal level. What you're doing is going to be different maybe from what the person next to you is going to be doing. That is how worship is designed. Now we've talked about how we don't worship. We've gotten rid of some of the noise. We talked about some of the hindrances. We've looked at some of the principles that Jesus offers us in how to worship. Now I want to look at sort of some bullet points that we can finish with. How do I worship God? We get a really great example from a story in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18. I won't read the whole thing because of time, but what I want you to see is that this is when Elijah is put against the Baal worshipers. They're both calling on their God to bring fire to the altar, burn the offering, and the God who responds in fire and takes the offering, he is God. People agree to this and that's what they're looking for. What I want you to hear is how Elijah addresses this to the people. As you probably know, the first part of this God contest, the Baal worshipers go and they cry out all day long and there's no response. And now it's a Elijah's turn. He tells them, he rebuilds the altar. He tells them what to do. They douse it with water three times and the water runs down the altar and it fills up the trench. It's filled with water in the middle of a drought. This is verse 36. And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, and this is what is really important, his prayer to God. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. The first thing we want to do when we worship is to recognize that God is God. When they finish this little God experiment, that's exactly what happens. When all the people saw what had happened, they fell on their faces and said, and this is verse 39, the Lord, he is God the Lord. He is God. They saw it with their own eyes and they could experience it. We want to recognize God as God. That's a first step to worshiping well. The second thing is we want to give him access to every part of our life. He is the heart turner. That's what Elijah calls him. He says, Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. He is in the business of turning hearts toward himself. Give him your heart. Let him have complete access to all of you. Hold nothing back. These people did know about the Lord. They had just not decided who they were going to serve. They had options. And you know what? So do we. We have options. And sometimes we haven't decided who we are going to serve more and over anything else. Because the truth of the matter is this. And this is what I really have to remind myself of. This is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to anything I want. All the stuff, anything like that, that's an idol. And I can't worship God if I hold that above Him. Anything 
anything I think about that I want more that I think about over and over and over again that I want more than I want Jesus in my life as an idol. Anything I love more than him is an idol. We don't like to think about it in those terms because it's illuminating often. But we have got to deal with these things that are stealing the affections from our hearts. And Jesus answered him in Luke 4, 8. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is the core of the issue. Another way we must worship is that we bring this, this ugliness before him. Just like this woman at the well did. She didn't even bring it willingly. He pointed it out to her and it was bare before him. That's what we have to do. We have to lay bare before him wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. Notice there wasn't any cleanup time for her. (laughs) We don't get any cleanup time. It's not necessary. Don't wait to clean yourself up. Just come. And then we want to guard ourselves against all those things that, that steal our affection. There's another parable about that seed that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 8. And he says, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. We don't want that to be us. We want mature fruit. We want everything the Lord wants for us to be grown to fruition so that we are everything he wants us to be. And that can't happen if we have affections that are contrary to him, if we have possessions we hold in higher value than him that we seek after, if there's things that we just, even good things that we keep thinking about over him. The last point is that we must choose to be all in. That's what these verses are pointing to. Psalm 77, 13 says, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as our God. I mean, it finishes with, You are the God who performs miracles. I mean, this is a no-brainer here. I mean, why wouldn't we choose to be all in? Is basically what the psalmist is suggesting. Why wouldn't we choose to be all in? Because we have things that are stealing our affections from him. It's going to have to be a conscious choice. We're going to have to choose to walk this direction and turn our focus on him. When you get up in the morning, when you turn on your music, when you step into the school, whatever it is that you've got to do, when you get on your devices and when you enter your worship center or Walmart, for heaven's sakes, you want to choose to be all in. How do I worship God? I recognize him for who he is. He's God. God is God. I give him access to my life so that my heart can be turned. I come as I am. I bring my sinful, ugly, imperfect self before him. I go on the offensive in my life against anything and everything that tries to choke out and steal my affections so that I can be every day, everywhere, in all things, all in. That, ladies, that is how you do that. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing our resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered 
spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.